church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I'm delighted you're listening to our podcast today. Uh, As always, there are interesting things going on in the news, and I, like a lot of people, have been fascinated by trial uh, of Alex Murdoch that began on January 23. Now, who is he and why do we even care? But he's a prominent South Carolina attorney down in the low country who was accused of killing his wife and youngest son. The trial went on for five weeks and it was broadcast live from inside the uh, courtroom. And it was a regular broadcast and fixture on cable news. In fact, this trial dominated the headlines. And uh, it re- it became a regular fixture on podcasts, uh, several podcasts, and even two documentaries uh, that followed the whole trial. There would be 70 witnesses in this trial, including Alex Murdoch himself. You know, from the uh, very beginning of this trial, um, it seemed like the pundits and commentators and the public uh, were convinced of Alex Murdoch's guilt. And there seemed to be just a, a, a total cacophony of hope that the jurors would be persuaded, uh, or I should say would not be persuaded uh, in any way by the defense's arguments. Any concern for uh, Alex Murdoch was completely absent. His tears, which uh, people repeatedly called fake tears, and his terms of endearment for his wife and his son uh, did not seem to sway the public opinion at all. What has drawn me to the story is why are we so fascinated by this kind of story that literally the a big sector of our country was just glued to this story for five weeks? You kind of scratch your head and you say, are we just seeking, uh, is it because we're just seeking justice? Um uh, or is there some other kind of fascination going on here? You know, some have suggested that uh, that we get fascinated by these things because we see ourselves in the characters that are being portrayed. You know, we may see ourselves in the shoes of the victims. Or, in fact, we might see ourselves in the shoes of the accused, someone who's frat, uh, frightened, trapped, pushed into a corner not knowing what to do, and um, maybe we're asking ourselves, if we were in those shoes, would we steal and kill? I hope not. 
I hope not. But that may be part of the fascination. You know, uh, Alex Murdoch was sentenced to two life terms in prison. And uh, as I've listened to the commentators and interviews with the jurors, it clearly seems to me that no one has any sympathy for this self-admitted drug addict and large-scale thief who's now convicted of a double murder. You know, it caused me to remember a story I once heard. Uh, Imagine you're walking through the woods and you see a small dog that looks cute and friendly and you lean down to pet the dog. Suddenly, it snarls, snaps at you and uh, tries to bite you. And uh, the dog no longer seems uh, cute and you jump back and you feel fear and even anger. Then suddenly, as the wind blows, the leaves on the ground are carried away, and you see that the dog has one of its legs caught in a trap. Now you feel differently. You feel compassion for the dog. You know it became aggressive because it is in pain and is suffering. It tells us something about our human attitudes. You know, uh, it it seems like we're in a rush to judgment society. Everyone seems quick to condemn uh, someone, even before the facts are known. We've had a number of prisoners across the country who've been uh, sentenced to uh, significant years in prison and and even death that uh, have had to be released from prison when all the facts were learned, you know, even in the political arena, the, the Russian hoax during the Trump administration caused great harm to America. And it had to be discarded when all the facts were known. You know, there's a long standing uh, wisdom, I guess we would call it, about not being too quick to judge. And uh, this little bit of wisdom seems to be lost these days. And the scripture urges us. It says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, if you think about it, if this kind of wisdom was practiced today, I got a feeling that the social media would become a lot more quiet than we see it today. You know, Proverbs 29, 11 has something to say to those who are hasty to spout words of uh, condemnation. And it says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him a caution from the scripture. You know, much much of the discord that we see in our country is sparked by social media participants who are quick to join in and and pile on before all the facts are presented and known. Proverbs 6 
there are six things listed that the Lord hates. That the Lord hates. Among the six things are a heart that devises schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It seems like a lot of people on social media that their agenda clearly is to stir up conflict. This is something that God hates. He says so in his word. You know, we can't control what others say or do, but we can control our own words and actions. You know, it's easy to jump to conclusions about people and, and uh, sling words of judgment without a second thought. But, you know, we need to remind ourselves that God is the ultimate judge of all created things. You know, he's not a judge of outward appearances, but he judges the heart, what's inside us. Psalms, Psalms 54 says, he summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. And Chronicles 28, 9 tells us, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of thoughts. If you seek him, you will find him. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Now, you know, I hear things from time to time from people uh, about this subject of judging who will say, uh, who am I to judge another person? And who are you to judge me? You know, these are phrases that I often hear. And I think this whole subject of judging is, is very confusing to many Christians as well as non-Christians. You know, the Bible teaches two sides, two sides of the subject of judging. You know, first, <clears throat> let me say that uh, judging others with righteous judging, in other words, using some discernment, uh, and righteously judging someone uh, is taught in the Bible. And uh, the Bible also speaks about sort of self-righteous judgment and, and, and the condemnation of others, something that we really ought to uh, avoid, you know. Judging is really something that Christians are expected to do. We're told in John 7, 20, <laughs> explicitly, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Well, the scripture is recognizing that Christians are being called to righteous judgment. And another verse tells us, do you not know that the saints will judge the world and that the world is to be judged by you? You're, you're, are, you're not unworthy to judge the smallest matters. Do you not know we shall judge, that we shall judge uh, the angels? The angels, how much more, the scripture says, should we be judging things that pertain to this life? You find this in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, and 3. And then over in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, the Apostle Paul makes it clear as he writes to the church what we are 
and are not supposed to judge. Now, he writes, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? In other words, non-believers. God will judge those outside. In other words, he's telling us it's our responsibility uh, to judge those who profess to be followers of Jesus. It's the process of holding someone accountable uh, to the standards of the scripture. Uh, you know, uh, we should never do that unless we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a fellow follower uh, who's really not living up to the standards of the scripture. Now, you know, we shouldn't confuse this with being judgmental. Now, judgmental, being judgmental is uh, pinpointing and talking about and making assumptions about what's hidden in the heart of another person and their intentions. This kind of thing can turn into slander and tearing down others and unnecessary arguments. Now, accountability, this kind of righteous judgment and accountability has the intention and the goal of grace, restoration, repentance. Um, In fact, believers are commanded to confess our sins to one another in James 5, 16. So judging is a part of being a follower of Jesus. So what does this judgmental, um, this righteous judgment look like? Well, it is, you know, having the courage to confront explicit sin in another believer, but doing this out of love for the purpose of repentance and reconciliation. And I might just insert here, you know, when you're speaking to another person or somebody speaking to you, we have the ability to discern quickly whether this is being done out of divine love. You know, the the, the whole goal would be to Store someone who is caught up in sin, and um, you know, if if we do this, we we have to check the motives and intentions of our own heart. You know, we personally must be uh, transparent and repentant and uh, humble, uh, and all of those things that uh, Jesus would expect of us. Now, uh, you know, you hear this. X, X, uh, I should say, uh, uh, this announcement sometimes, judge not, judge not. Um, And we have a scripture that says, judge not, lest thou be judged. And uh, then, but the scripture tells us uh, and warns us, you know, and and says this over in Romans 2, 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and and doing the same? that you will uh, escape the judgment of God. You know, we we should always make sure that we never judge another person in a way that makes us feel superior uh, uh, and that we have to maintain our own ability to be merciful and, uh, and forgiving. So true. It is true. Judge not. You know, we have scriptures that 
talk about this. It tells us, look, you know, you can't talk about a speck in another man's eye when you got a log in your own eye. No, you can't be in that position. You know, it's interesting to, for me to when I think about all this, to, um, you know, in the eighth chapter of John, there's a story about Jesus teaching his followers and critics about judging. The writer Charles Martin in his book, What If It's True, tells this story in the eighth chapter of John through his contemporary pen. It's early. The sun is just up. Jesus is in the temple teaching. People are sitting close, packed in like sardines. There's a commotion at the door. Loud voices. Several Pharisees drag in a woman. She was caught in the act of sleeping with a man, not her husband. Adultery. The woman is completely naked. The man, mind you, is nowhere to be found. They throw her down and scream, we caught her. They laugh, letting their eyes walk up and down her body. She wraps her arms around her knees, trying to conceal herself with long hair. The scribes continue. One is tossing a stone in the air like a baseball. They're baiting Jesus. Their voices are ripe with cynicism. Moses uh, commands us to stone her. They have no interest in his answer, only their trap. No, Jesus stooped down and writes in the dirt. There's no way he can escape not acknowledging so great a sin. They know they have him. They continue pestering him. Jesus continues to doodle. Finally, he glances at the woman, then at the men, and slowly steps aside, almost as if to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, you were saying? Then he speaks, essentially saying, he who is without sin among you, be my guest. Throw the first stone. It's quiet for several minutes. Then the men file out. The temple empties. Jesus is left alone in the temple with a naked woman. No, I'm not saying Jesus sinned in any way. Don't read that into this. He was tempted as we are, yet sinless. I am saying Jesus was and is comfortable in his house in whatever condition people come to him. While these men and women uh, may have been focused on her sin and nakedness, he was not, not in the least bit. He knows her body better than she does. He made her every fold, curve, and wrinkle. He's focused on her healing. The pompous men in that room are no less naked than she. Their clothing conceals nothing, least of all their secret sins. You know, Jesus sees everything. He knows their thoughts. 
Moses said, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. You think this woman on her knees in the temple had time to get cleaned up? These self-righteous hypocrites had snatched her out of bed. And men make women messy. She was soaked in the evidence of her sin. But notice who's not there. The man. Typical. By now, the cool air had dried the sweat on her skin, giving rise to goosebumps. And Jesus asked, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She doesn't look up. She's still too ashamed to make eye contact. I think Jesus lifts her chin. He would want to see her face. I would want her to know the absence of shame. His great love. He shakes his head. Neither do I continue, uh, condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice, Jesus doesn't say she wasn't in sin. Her sin was obvious. He tells her, go and sin no more. You know, this contemporary version of the story of John 8 spoke to me in a poignant way. Jesus was not calling her to sinless perfection, but to leave behind her life of sin. Now, all of us are going to sin, but we have an advocate on our behalf. The same Jesus that stood before the woman now stands as our uh, advocate. You know, uh, only one person in this story, only one person walked away with the promise of of, uh, uh, eternal life. The sinful, adulterous woman. Not the ones who left. Not the accusers. Not the the pompous, self-righteous people who had dragged her there trying to trick Jesus. You know, uh, it's very interesting uh, um, that this story speaks to us in this way over all of these centuries. You know, the the, the story, uh, is, let me just say to my listeners as we begin to uh, close this podcast, the story of the adulterous woman in John 8 is the kind of judgment that we should expect of ourselves every day. It requires a deep knowledge of right and wrong. And it requires the courage to love and care for the well-being of others. You know, we can't allow our thinking to be clouded by prejudice and conceit or hypocrisy. You know, let me just say this as we close. Whether you judge or not judge, is not the question. How we judge is the question. May God bless you on this special day in your life. Thank you for listening.